Welcome to Stone's Notes by Stone Consulting. I'm Maureen Stonehouse. On today's episode, I'm talking to Wen Lin, geologist at Suncor. We'll be talking about Wen's scientific article titled, Estimation of Source to Sink Mass Balance by a Fulcrum Approach, using channel paleohydraulic parameters of the Cretaceous Dunvegan Formation, Canada. Some highlights include discussing how the volume of sediments in a delta can be predicted using trunk river parameters. We're rocking out today with Wen. Welcome to Stone's Notes. Hi Wen and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi Maureen, thank you for having me here. So in your paper, you talked about the source to sink concept, how you take the total sediment volume in the source area and you want it to match the total sediment volume downstream in the sink. So you use the fulcrum approach to calculate the amount of sediment volume in the sink based on the volume that's passing through the fluvial system trunk. And there's lots of benefits to using this method, which you mentioned. So why is it that you chose this fulcrum approach? Well, that's a good question. There is a long-standing uh, assumption that the total uh, sediment mass transported from the source areas through the trunk river into the sink should match the sediment deposit in the sink. However, you know, quite a few times we're having hard times to either calculate the total um, volume derived from the source area or the catchment, if you will, or um, the total volume sediment deposited in the sink. Using this fulcrum analysis, we assume that the total, you know, volume or sediment mass uh, match from the source to sink, and we can just simply estimate the uh, sediment transported through the trunk river, and to uh, come up with the estimates of the sediment volume either from the source or deposit in the sink, and then to compare them to see if that uh, mass balance exist or you know way off the track for this uh, fulcrum analysis we use it for uh, the this paper it turns out to be a great match yeah so almost if you don't have the information on the source you can look at the fluvial trunk instead so if you were to look at the fulcrum how would you define where it is within the river yeah so uh, you know firstly you need to definitely have very clearly map this uh, depositional environment of your uh, working uh, unit. Number one is, you know, if it is a fluvial dominated deposition system, so you have uh, sediment coming from your source areas, in, also known as the catchment, transported through the trunk and then into your tributary system and then into your marine and the deep water all the way to a basal plant. But, uh, you know, no matter how you interpret it as your positional uh, component, you need to have a trunk river at a uh, balance point in your system. You know, so in from uh, that point, you have the sediment coming from the catchment and going through the uh, trunk river and into your, your basin. So that trunk uh, river, it's definitely acting as a uh, fulcrum. Uh, point uh, in your deposition system, you know, you need to have, or you always have uh, a, a trunk river somewhere as a, a, the transitional point of your deposition system. So that is the trunk river and it can be used as your fulcrum point. 
So it really depends on the depositional environment from what you're saying there. And one of the things that's neat about the Dunvegan is a lot of the stratigraphy and aloe members have been subdivided previously by authors such as Guy Plant. And within each aloe member, you see some pair sequences. So you picked the Dunvegan E for your study. And what makes the Dunvegan work so well with this method? Yeah, Maureen, like you said, Dunvegan is a very well studied. Uh, the reason why we chose uh, adult member E as the candidate for this study is because number one, uh, adult member E has a clearly mapped and defined trunk river. So, and number two is that the um, adult member E has a, a sort of river dominant delta system well mapped in the basin. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, it's uh, well mapped by Dr. Donovacharya, his PhD, and you have the isopad well-mapped boundary of downstream deltas. And using that deltaic component in the basin, then we can estimate sediments deposited in the delta. So that can be used to match the upstream sediment source estimates. So that's why we chose adult member E. With other adult members, it's sort of difficult because it's really hard to find which one or where is the trunk river. And then, therefore, it's hard to estimate it, trunk river dimensions for this fulcrum analysis. Yeah, so it being river dominated with a really clear trunk river um, made it a great analog. So what other formations do you think you could potentially take a look at this fulcrum method on? Well, you need to have uh, a sort of uh, some premise to apply this uh, analysis. Number one, like I said, you need to have like River. It doesn't have to be a, a single trunk river. You can have like a multiple uh, feeding systems, but you need to understand wh- where are these uh, trunk rivers and you need to get access to their dimension. For other formations, as long as you have a, a river-dominated deposition system and you have easy access to your trunk river dimensions, then you can apply this uh, approach. So you're starting to dip a little bit into the method that you've used, which is a really unique, neat way to do it. So talking about the dimension of the trunk river, what are kind of some of the, you have really detailed method in the paper here, but just a high level overview, what would you say is the key things to look at when you're trying to do your calculations? Yeah, I mean, it is also linked to the uh, whole concepts of this fulcrum analysis and the application, right? So uh, a lot of times, um, I come from the oil and gas uh, industry, and I always focus on the oil and gas application whenever I'm doing my uh, research. And for this program analysis, it is very useful because, you know, quite a few times when you uh, uh, enter uh, uh, frontier new basins, you don't have much information about either uh, the sediment volume or the, the uh, depositional uh, evolution in the basin. But uh, you sometimes access to trunk rivers from either your, your core analysis or even some free uh, outcrop data, right? So then you understand, you know, that the uh, outcrop fluvial system you are uh, describing could be the trunk river, and then you can just, uh, you know, simply, you know, describe uh, your, your dimension of the trunk rivers and to get access to the sediment, uh, estimated sediment, uh, whether uh, it's uh, in, from the source or in a sink. That's quite useful with very limited uh, availability. For um, the method used for this analysis, you really need to understand the uh, dimensions of your trunk river, including 
in sediment discharge and, and, and water discharge and the, your, your width and, and the depths of your bank full uh, during the rivers. And, and then most importantly, you need to understand, you know, your, the green sides transported through the rivers and, and the total depreciation of, of, of your rivers. Yeah, so lots of parameters to look at. Um, just if we take one as an example, you know, you talked about you want to figure out the width of the channel. What kind of methodology did you find worked the best for this? I mean, you know, ideally, you need to get very uh, firsthand access to the width of the channel. Uh, in other words, you need to understand, you, you need to get access to the upcrop. So if you're looking at the uh, transactional view of your uh, trunk river uh, in the outcrop, you can easily measure width using your measure tape or, you know, GPS, whatever the modern tools are available to measure the width of your uh, trunk river. Otherwise, you need to have some like equations or, or empirical equations or, or uh, you know, correlation plots. For example, um, Giblings published a paper in 2006 talking about the gas and the width ratio of different types of fluvial system, including the inside valley all the way to tributary channels. You can use those empirical equations to estimate if you don't have the first-hand access to all crops. Yeah, it's a good point. There's some imperial equations with some known numbers that you can use if you don't have outcrop or you don't have seismic or some of that additional data that would be nice to have but isn't always available. So using some standards as a um, starting place is always great because, you know, as you said, when you are starting to work an area, you don't know how big it is and you want to make sure that you calculate the right volume within the delta or whatever the a sink winds up being so that you can get the correct oil or gas volumes in place there. Exactly. So for, for example, you know, so to follow up a little bit more on this is, you know, a lot of the times for the basin models, they really need to understand how much sediment volumes and, and how much shale versus sandstones deposited in the basin in order to get your, you know, it's modeling uh, up and in the, in the run. But a lot of times, if you don't have like number one 3D seismic data, or you have like a, a few uh, 2D seismic lines, how are you gonna come up with the uh, accurate or, or reasonable estimate of the total volume of uh, sand versus shale? Uh, you, you don't have the answer, right? But for using this frequent analysis, you should be able to get a, a rough or approximate idea about how much sand versus shale deposit. In, in your basin because you have your 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 channel there your trunk river is there so you can't you know expect too much with a small mountainous river versus if you have something like a mississippi scales river you should be able to expect some large system in your basin yeah they need to be on the same order of magnitude to make exactly. it believable and geologically correct you also talked a bit about the paleo discharge estimation that you did um, using kind of the annual sediment discharge, cumulative sediment load, and sediment accumulation in the sink. So how do you come up with these values? It is, um, um, mathematics speaking, is simple. But in reality, it's more complicated than that. I, I will start with the, the mass, and then we can go to the geology uh, later. The mass is, you know, you can calculate the uh, instantaneous sediment discharge cubic meter per second. Then you need to have like the annual discharge means you have three 
fifty sorry three sixty five days in a year, and then twenty four hours a day, and then you just simply uh, uh, times the uh, the time of the year uh, to your instantaneous uh, discharge come up with the annual discharge. And then you have like a total deposition duration estimated for your system. And for example, in this case, we have like 25,000 years for the adult member e, e, E1. And then, so you just simply find the total deposition duration to get the total element of volume. However, you know, in order to get uh, the annual discharge, you need to understand how many days or how long your river was uh, under the bank full status. Um, and then this is also determined by your climate, your um, river uh, hydro, uh, hydraulic uh, status. So these are the factors and, and, and elements you need to take um, into consideration when you're estimating the annual discharge. That's one of those parameters that it's easy to overlook and forget about, you know, how many years did it take to deposit this environment in 25,000 years, when you think of the whole rock record, it's a relatively short time frame, um, and the delta scale reflects that. So thinking of each aloe member and each pair sequence within a certain amount of years, it's a, it's a great reminder to remember that parameter, right? So one of the things that you came up with was the total volume that would be in the delta, and you had a range of 135 to 307 kilometers cubed. And this was in the allo member E. And this matched approximately the ISO map that was generated on the lower end. So for that ISO map, can you mention a little bit about what exactly it was that was being looked at to match? For the uh, isopack map uh, in, in the basin it is of the hard data we have uh, as i mentioned you know dr bacharia did his phd on that so he was looking at over thousands of wells of cores um, you know spreading out in, in the basin and and came up with this deltaic uh, isopack map so he has like clear boundaries of the element member e and then, so he also have the thickness of element member e from core analysis. So that's why ISOPAC map is somewhat uh, accurate in the whole uh, estimating system, uh, process. Using this ISOPAC map, we can understand you know, how much sediment deposited in the match or uh, compared with the sediment volume estimated from the source uh, river mansion. Yeah, so having the additional core and the additional logs really gives you confidence in the ISOPAC to know that it's the fulcrum method is working here, which is a great way to double check your work. It is, uh, uh, this paper is sort of a, a test out uh, of the method because, uh, you know, a lot of times in, in the future, you know, you don't even have the map out the delta in your basin in order to apply this. The idea of this approach that uh, without the delta in the basin, can you able to estimate the similar volume uh, of the basin using this program. So this is because the test that we need to have the like uh, existing answer in the basin, right? So, you know, because we know, you know, this is, like I said, it's it's a hard piece of, you know, we know how much volume in the in, in the delta. We just want to try out whether we can estimate the, the, the similar volume using the program from the trunk river. 
and it turns out the result is you know you know we, using this fulcrum analysis we can come up with a very similar sediment volume in in, in the delta yeah so now that this is proven that it works you know if you don't have that isopac map generated and you're determining the size with a little bit less ball control and you're really relying on the trunk river you can have confidence in the size of the delta that you've mapped because this method has been proven to work in other analogs so this is another tool in everybody's toolbox that they can use exactly and and this method also uh, proves that uh, you know the accuracy of this estimate can be controlled or constrained within the order of magnitude and a lot of the times for exploration or for seismic scale resolution, you know, order for magnitude, it's, it's, it's good enough to have your decision made. Speaking of orders of magnitude, you had a range. And within that, um, you had a great explanation for why on the upper range, so much of the sediment could essentially escape. So what geological process explains where the sediment is going and what do you think happens? Geology word is so much more complicated than we would expect. A lot of times, even within a, a river-dominated system, your sediment is coming into the basin through your river. At the beginning, it will deposit as waste river-dominated delta system deposits. But later on, you know, so when your river influence was overwhelmed by uh, your marine process, such as tide, storms, or, or waves, and there, there's a dramatic reworking post your uh, river deposition. So in, in this case, you know, your sediment coming into your system through your river, but uh, your waves and tides or storms constantly rework on those. You sort of understand that, uh, you know, the sediment, the transport directions is perpendicular to your shoreline or uh, follow your river uh, direction a lot of times tide and the wave and storms has the orthogonal or diagonal directions of your shoreline and then a lot of the cases you know you have like a longshore transport uh, by your uh, fair weather waves and, and then this is how a lot of sediment got uh, resuspended especially the fine grain sediments including um, mud and, and silt got resuspended by fair weather waves or even storms and, and, and then uh, carried away from your river mouth or from your your depot center deltas further downstream or sorry further downdrift. Guy Plint also uh, published a paper talking about that uh, the fine grained sediment including mud and silt can be resuspended and 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 carried further downdrift uh, more than thousand kilometers away. So if you imagine that, you know, and, and, and also in, in, in the, the Western uh, Interior Seaway during Cretaceous, it, it's greenhouse and the seaway was more vulnerable to the storms. And, and then uh, a lot of uh, marine additional process was going on. So it's easy for those processes to resuspend the, the sediment and take them further downdrift. Um, that's why you see three times difference of the estimate between the source to the sink. You know, when your sediment is coming into the systems and you have the counterclockwise uh, oceanic current and hooked uh, with the uh, geostrophic barrel, and that's how those sediments got escaped from the uh, eccentric uh, area. Yeah, so it's really the fine-grained muds being suspended and then storms coming around and swirling them around. So they're not in the sink area directly where you're looking, but they still exist in the larger, you know, 10-pound ships away kind of range. 
That's right. So you see quite a few sediments escaped uh, along shoreline by those marine uh, depositional processes. Another thing you mentioned was to take a look and make sure the numbers were adding up correctly, was comparing it to the BQART. So how did you find the fulcrum method in the BQART method compared? I think they match very well. So uh, in one of the figures, I believe that's figure 19, the paper, uh, I, I made a, a, a graph and showing the comparison results. And then also, you know, they both uh, come in with a range. And for the, the low end range, um, the, the court uh, method matches very well with uh, the fulcrum analysis for the upper uh, the upper end, the uh, fulcrum is a slightly larger than the cord. I also uh, had some explanation uh, down there because the cord is uh, heavily depends on temperature, you know, relief of your system. And, and the temperature we use for the cord for the vegan, it's slightly conservative. The Slingland also argued that, uh, you know, the uh, Dunvegan can be uh, as high as uh, over 20 degrees. In, in, in our paper, we use uh, uh, minus 3 to 18 degrees as the uh, temperature range for the Bicord uh, estimate. But if we just uh, slightly increase uh, the temperature, and, and I think the upper end of the estimate of Bicord will be pumped as well. So that will match the upper end of the Fulcrum analysis as well. Yeah, so this is a really great tool that, um, you know, you've proven it in many different ways with the isopac maps, comparing it to other methods, and if you just find a river and want to predict the delta, you can go ahead and use this on different formations, which is exciting and fun. Is there anything additional about this study that you'd like to share? I, I think, like I said, you know, uh, it is a very powerful tool to estimate the sediment volume in your deposition systems, especially when you're short of data. Yeah you're doing some like new, new new venture frontier exploration you know you can simply start as most the geologists would love to is from crops or some like core data right you know you get a, a, a idea how big your position system could be by using looking at your trunk river or major rivers if you will right um, you don't maybe may, you may not not very clearly sure that the river you are looking at in outcrop would be your trunk river, but at least it's part of the uh, rivers or, or fluvial systems. Well, two options, one, this is your, your trunk river, and then you understand how, how the dimension of your trunk river and, and in order to understand your um, the size of your deposition system. The other option would be if it is not a trunk river, it, it would be smaller than your trunk river, and you would definitely have like a larger uh, upper uh, range of your estimate. So either way, it will give you some very useful information about the uh, sedimentary basin you're looking at. Exactly. Well, I think I've learned a lot by reading this and talking to you. So thank you so much, Wen, for taking the time to discuss your research further. My pleasure. Thank you. Stone's Notes is brought to you by Stone Consulting. We can be found online at www.stoneconsulting.info or send us an email anytime at stoneconsultingcorp at outlook.com. On behalf of everyone here, I'm Maureen Stonehouse. Thank you for joining us. Until next time.